Father, in your presence we bow and pray that we might behold wondrous things out of your law and that our supreme goal and concern this morning might be the glory of Jesus Christ. Dear Holy Spirit of God, be our teacher. Illumine our minds, open our hearts, and draw us with the cords of love to the one who loved us more than we could ever comprehend, the Lord Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray, amen. It has been said that little faith will bring your soul to heaven, but great faith will bring heaven to your soul. There's a lot of truth in that, but I would like to change it just slightly. True faith, it's not really so much the size of faith, it's the reality of true faith. True faith, however small or weak or frail it may be, will bring your soul to heaven. That is, by trusting Jesus Christ with true faith, you will be saved, even though it's simple faith. But growing faith, not necessarily great faith, growing faith will bring heaven to your soul. And because that is true, God's goal for us is to grow us. He has predetermined to make us like his son Jesus and to make us holy, to grow us in godliness and Christ-likeness, trials come our way that force us to fall upon him and rest upon him to try our faith and increase our faith to make it greater in size but also stronger in quality because growing faith brings heaven to the soul. And that's why we're studying the heroes of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. You can open your Bibles to that wonderful section near the end of the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 11, as we continue to look at the heroes of the faith. In our study, we have passed our way through a brief definition and meaning of faith in the early verses of the chapter. We've looked at Abel and Enoch and Noah, and then while I was gone, pastors Keith and Doug looked at the longer section on the life of Abraham. In fact, the longest section in Hebrews 11 about one person is about Abraham. It's about 12 verses. The second longest section is about Moses, And that's seven verses, but sandwiched in between the two, squeezed into these major sections, there are three brief verses that deal with three different individuals. They are just mentioned, and then you go on to the next. I'm referring to Hebrews 11 and verse 20. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. Verse 21, by faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshiped as he leaned on the top of his staff. Verse 22, by faith, Joseph, when he was near the end, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. And then you jump into the life of Moses. So we hit these three rather quickly, and I'm fascinated by the structure of the text. There must be a reason for putting these three together. You say, well, duh, they're next in the patriarchal line. 
right? Abraham, then it's Isaac, and Jacob, and Joseph. And that's true, but there's got to be more. And as I look at these three, I see some interesting similarities. Number one, in each case, these three are dying. Did you notice that? These are deathbed statements and the confession of their deepest convictions after a long life of faith. And in each case, they are concerned about the next generation. They're looking into the future. They have a desire to pass the baton of faith and leave a legacy for those who follow. I find it interesting when you look in this chapter that you can look back and see that by faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. We weren't there, that's the distant past, no one else was there but God, but faith takes us back to the deepest past. And then faith is around to lead your life for the present, like in the life of Abraham, who lived his life as a stranger, as a sojourner, as an alien in this world, and it was faith that gave him that perspective that this world is not all there is. But now with these three guys, we have a look of faith to the future. So faith looks back, faith looks around, and faith looks forward, or faith looks ahead. They're all looking toward the future from their deathbed, concerned about the next generations, but get this, they're looking at the future with confidence. In every case, optimism and hope. And I believe you and I, in many situations, have lost our confidence and our optimism and our hope about tomorrow. So this text is for us. As iron sharpens iron, So a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. And so we want our iron, our life, to be sharpened by the iron and lives of these three individuals and to give us a sharper edge for Christ. So let's look just briefly at Isaac and Jacob because I want to spend most of our time on Joseph. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac, and this was all by faith, has to be or they wouldn't be in the chapter of the heroes of the faith, By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob. Very interesting word, the word blessed. It is the Greek word eulogeo, where we get the English word eulogy. And a eulogy is a blessing. You are recounting good things, and you are at a funeral, for instance. You are giving the eulogy, you are giving a blessing, as it were, upon the life that has been lived. But in the Hebrew custom, the eulogy was the passing on of the promise given given to one generation and to be passed on to the following generations. And the greatest possible possession that someone could inherit or receive was the parental blessing and with it the assurance of an inheritance. So we read in verse 20 that Isaac is blessing Jacob and Esau. Who are those guys? His sons. He's blessing his sons. And he is blessing them, according to verse 20, with regard to their future. 
Now, if you would like to, you can keep one finger in Hebrews 11 and jump back to the book of Genesis, chapter 27. As we have noticed in the book of Hebrews, chapter 11, the backstory for all of these people, at least so far, has been the book of Genesis. And so, what is this blessing that was given? Well, you know the backstory very well. Isaac and Rebekah have two twin boys, and uh, they are unusual guys. Isaac is old, this is verse one of chapter 27. His eyes are weak, so he's blind, and he's dying. He says, in fact, I don't even know when the day of my death is going to be. So in chapter 27, verse four, he said to Esau, his eldest son, make me some tasty food, the kind I like, bring it to me, then I will bless you. The Hebrew word for blessing is very similar to the Greek word. I will bless you and then I will die. So I'll eat, I'll bless you, and I'll die. And so Esau hurries off to get the kind of tasty food that his father likes. But Rebekah hears about it and she goes to Jacob, the second son, and says, hurry, you've gotta play the part of Esau and steal the blessing. Now why would she say that? Well, when she was pregnant with twins, if you go back a couple chapters to chapter 25, the twins were battling in her womb. And she prayed and said, God, why is this? And he said, it's because you've got two nations within you, two peoples. But one is gonna be stronger than the other, and the younger, the elder, is going to serve the younger. Now, this goes against Jewish tradition. This goes against the law of the primogenitor, the first uh, generation, the firstborn, is to have the primary part of the inheritance. But God said, no, the younger is going to be greater than the older, and that's why they're battling. And Esau just barely comes out first, and then Jacob comes out grabbing his heel, so he gets the name deceiver or heel grasper. Now when it comes to the blessing in chapter 27, I don't know if Isaac didn't know that or he had forgotten it, but he wanted to give the blessing to Esau. Rebecca gets Jacob in place, so he gets the blessing. And the blessing is about, and you can read about this in chapter 27, verse 28, the dew of heaven and the richness of the earth and the abundance of grain will be yours. Many nations will serve you and you'll be Lord over your brothers. And whoever curses you, they will be cursed. And whoever blesses you, they will be blessed. Imagine if you had that blessing upon your life. Wouldn't that be great? I mean, if someone you know, wanted to slander you, you say, bring it on. You're only hurting yourself. Hey, and if you want to have a good life, be kind to me. That was part of the Abrahamic blessing in Genesis chapter 12. And this blessing that Isaac is giving his son comes from Abraham. We don't have time to go there, but you can read about it in Genesis 12 and in Genesis chapter 17. So God gives a blessing, a covenant of blessing to Abraham, and Abraham gives it to his son Isaac, and now Isaac is giving it down to his son Jacob, and ultimately Esau. It is the covenant of faith about the future. It is the covenant of faith about a prosperous land and leadership over the nations. 
And Isaac believed it. So he was giving the blessing, but Jacob steals the blessing. It becomes his, and he indeed is the one who was blessed. Jacob becomes the next in the patriarchal line. Abraham, Isaac, and not Esau, but Jacob. And Jacob has the 12 sons. So we jump back uh, to Hebrews just for a moment, and now we look at verse 21. So it follows, Jacob, by faith Jacob, when he was dying, just like his father Isaac, he wants to bless, but his blessing is on his grandsons. He blesses Joseph's sons. So now we're going not just to the next generation, but two generations down. And you can read about this in Genesis 48. Isaac, uh, or Jacob is old, he's dying. He wants his grandsons to come first. He blesses his sons in chapter 49, but first his grandsons, very interesting. And so Joseph brings his two sons, Manasseh the oldest, Ephraim the second born, and they're set on Jacob's knees, and as Jacob blesses them, the right hand of blessing, he deftly turns and puts it on the other son's head. You see, Joseph set them up so that that, uh, Manasseh would get the right hand of blessing, and Jacob goes like this, boom, and blesses them. And Joseph said, no, no, that's wrong. And why did Jacob bless the younger? I don't know, because he was the younger who got blessed. I don't know if God told him. We have no record in Scripture that God told him to do this, but he did it, and now the blessing goes to Ephraim. And to prove it, in Genesis 39, or Genesis 49, verse 20, the proverb in the land was, may God bless you like Ephraim and like Manasseh, the younger, comes first. And later on, the nation of Israel uses as a synonym, as a a name to represent itself, Ephraim, the name to describe the whole northern kingdom. And the Bible also tells us, back in Hebrews 11, verse 21, that Jacob blessed his grandsons leaning upon his staff because he was feeble, and he worshiped. I like that. Now, you can study the lives of Isaac and Jacob, and you can find fault. But remember what we said a couple weeks ago. This is like the the reading of the honors list at graduation. They don't bring up all of your faults. They bring up the highlights of your academic career or here the highlights of your faith. And this was a highlight for Jacob. At the end of his life, he was still worshiping. And at the end of the life, he was giving forth the blessing that came from Abraham that went to his father Isaac and now had come down to him, and he was passing it to his sons and even his grandsons. And it was simply the word of God in the covenant of Abraham. To boil it all down, these guys believed God, even though they had not yet seen the promises fulfilled, even though they didn't have the land, even though they weren't yet a great nation, they believed God. And as they were dying, they wanted to leave a rich legacy to those who would follow after. And I think that's pretty amazing. But now we go to Joseph. And if you still have Hebrews 11 there at hand, you will read these words about Joseph, which I find to be pretty amazing. 
By faith, Joseph. Do you know anything about Joseph? Genesis 37, all the way to the end of the book, 13 chapters deal about Joseph and that he's mentioned in all the Bible. One of the greatest examples of a godly, faithful individual that you could find. In fact, he's a type of Christ. A.W. Pink counted over 100 similarities between Jesus and Joseph. I think he's pushing it a little bit, but there's at least, you know, scores. And yet, out of all of the great events of his life and the fascinating things that he accomplished for God, this is what is picked out by the Holy Spirit as a brilliant example of faith. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. Now, that is just so cool. Because you read something like that in Scripture and you go, what? I mean, I could have found, again, scores of different examples, greater examples of faith. I would think they are greater. And yet I want to remind you that the Holy Spirit in this chapter is selecting from the lives of good and gracious people the most brilliant examples of their faith. And you and I cannot readily tell which action in a life God may most value. In fact, the way you and I evaluate other people and our own lives as well, we are often wrong. Someone as well said, it may be when we read our own biography in the light of eternity that we will be surprised to notice that God was highly commending us over things that we wept over. And the trial that we endured we thought with little patience and great failure may have been in the eyes of God one of the greatest exhibitions of true patience that we ever experienced. The tests by which we try ourselves are often very inaccurate. And it's very likely when we least please ourselves, God is most pleased with us because we have a tendency to value the wrong thing. So I think it's fascinating that God says, let me bring out of Joseph's life one of the best examples of his faith, his bones. That'll make you sit up and take notice. So we go, where else? To Genesis, this time chapter 50, for the backstory. Genesis chapter 50. By the way, Death is one of the best assayers of your faith. That is, it weighs your faith. It tests your faith and your true convictions like nothing else can. And it is so beautiful to note that this grand old man, full of faith throughout his life, has as one of his most illustrious examples of faith something that happens at the very end of his life, which means don't give up, keep on going. You still have opportunities to do great things for God. In fact, your greatest days may be ahead. Now look, when we turn to Genesis 50, and I hope you turn there in your Bibles because this is so crucial. Verse 23, Joseph stayed in Egypt along with his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's 
children. Now, this section of scripture is right after they buried their dad, Jacob. They traveled back uh, to the land of Canaan, which wasn't theirs. But that's where the patriarchs were buried, in the mausoleum at uh, Machpelah that Abraham bought. And so they traveled back there uh, with the approval of the Egyptian government, and they, bought, they buried Jacob, and then they came back. Now, if we just do a little adding here in Scripture, we notice that Joseph was thrown into prison when he was 17 years old, and he was promoted out of prison when he was 30. So he was in jail for 13 years. And then when he was promoted to be next in power to Pharaoh, what happened after that? Seven years of plenty and seven years of famine. So that puts him at mid-40s. And if we're missing something, which we might be, we've got Joseph now in verse 22, after coming back from burying his dad somewhere around the age of 45 or 50. And it says in that same verse, he lived to be 110 years old. There's another 60 years in that one verse. And out of all the things that we know about Joseph, it's primarily his early life. And the last 60 years, he lived them. But let me tell you how he lived them. He lived them by faith. Because his last deed is one of his best acts of faith. He saw his great-great-grandchildren, verse 23. And notice Ephraim is mentioned first, even though he's the younger, because he's the one who got the blessing. And they sat on Joseph's knees, just like he brought his sons to sit on the knees of Jacob. Verse 24, then Joseph said to his brothers, I'm about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. So here you have Joseph dying, right? And yet Joseph is confident because of the promise that God had given. Now, what promise? Well, you could say it's the promise that came from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob and to Jacob's sons. It's the Abrahamic promise that you're going to have a land and be fruitful in it. You're going to be a great nation. You will bless other people. And those who bless you will be blessed. And those who curse you will be cursed. That's all part of it. But Jacob said something to Joseph right after he blessed Joseph's sons. I have it on the screen here for you from Genesis chapter 48. Then Israel, which is another name for Jacob. Then Jacob said to his son Joseph, I'm about to die, but God is going to be with you and take you back to the land of your fathers. And you will be over your brothers, and I'll give you one of the ridges, one of the land areas that I won with the sword. I just want you to know, Joseph, I've blessed your sons, but I'm blessing you, and you're going back to the land. Don't forget it. It's the Abrahamic promise, and now it's intensified with a personal application. And that's what Joseph had in his mind for 60 years. I'm going back to the land. Now think about it. Joseph could have put down deep roots in Egypt, right? He had an Egyptian title. 
second to Pharaoh. He had an Egyptian wife. He had an Egyptian lifestyle with a beautiful mansion and home and servants and had anything that he could ever want. And yet, although Joseph, get this, Joseph adapted to the Egyptian lifestyle, he never adopted the Egyptian lifestyle. Those are two different things. You and I live in this world, and we need to be in this world, and we need to adapt as best we can to the cultures we live in without sinning, but never adopt this world as your home because it's not. If you're a believer. Now, if this world is your home and this is where your love is, then I question whether you're really a believer. Can a true believer struggle with worldliness? Yes. Maybe you're in between, but I can't help you. If you say, Pastor, I prayed to receive Christ years ago, but I really love this world. Am I a Christian? I'd say, I can't help you. Make your calling and election sure. Nothing I can do for you. I can only tell you that those who love the world don't love God. I mean, if that's your true love, the love of the Father is not in them. You've got to make a choice. Do we struggle with worldliness as Christians? Absolutely. The Bible's pretty clear. And so Joseph did not put deep roots down into his Egyptian setting. He remained true to the Lord and confident of God's promise. God will surely visit you. In fact, when you read the promise that Jacob gave his son in chapter 48, it sounds like it's going to happen pretty soon. And I wonder if he woke up every morning thinking this could be the day. Just like you and I wake up every morning with a promise in our heart that Jesus is coming again, and we say to ourselves, this could be the day. How old are you? You've been praying that prayer for how long? 60 years. Joseph could have been saying, this could be the day. But now he's dying, and he realized it's not going to happen in his lifetime. So you know what he says? Just as we buried my father back in the family mausoleum, back in the land of Canaan, I've got Canaan on my mind. And I want you to take my bones back there. His heart was in Canaan. I can't confess to be a great James Taylor fan. Uh, the musician, although I do like some of his songs, and as I'm listening to my Pandora this week, one of his songs comes up that I'm not very familiar with, Carolina on my mind. And so I do a little research. And it was a time when James Taylor was traveling in Europe, and he was very homesick for his, his home state of North Carolina. And so he began to write this song. He finished it in the uh, in London, England, and actually recorded it in Apple Studios where the Beatles were recording. And some of them actually played the record with him. Paul played the bass. and had Another story for another time. But it's all about, I've got Carolina on my mind. The place of sunshine and moonshine. <laughs> the smell, I've got Carolina on my mind. No matter where you go, home is home, right? And Joseph had Canaan on his mind. 
Why? Because of the promises of God. So when I die, I want you to take my bones with you. I don't think he knew it would be over 400 years before they would do it. Now, by the way, it's pretty interesting that there have been some studies. What what did they do to Joseph, by the way? I guess we need to jump ahead a little bit. Look at verse 26. So Joseph died at the age of 110. They embalmed him, which was a practice the Egyptians invented, perfected, and was only used for royalty. If you go back earlier in the chapter, verse 1 of chapter 50, Jacob was embalmed only because his son Joseph ordered it. And now Joseph is embalmed. Have you ever seen any Egyptian mummies? That's because they were embalmed. Some of these kings were embalmed. Joseph was. Probably had a very nice coffin. But he, he established something I like to call the covenant of the coffin. That sounds cool, doesn't it? Covenant of the coffin. What is that? That's Joseph just saying, I swear to, I make you swear. Isn't that what he said? He's using the language of an oath in verse 25. God will surely come to you, and I want you guys to swear that you will carry my bones with you when this happens. It wasn't a selfish request. It was a stimulus. It was a long-standing sermon to tell Israel through all those difficult, dark days when they became slaves in Egypt, God is going to come to deliver us. How do you know? Jacob's bones. And they must have been put in some kind of mausoleum, some type of place, probably in Goshen, where they could be retrieved. By the way, we're told in Exodus chapter 31, verse 19, when Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, you know what he did? He got the bones. Maybe the coffin with the mummy, I don't know, but he got the bones. And they carried them all the way through the wilderness for how many years? 40 years. Hey, who's got the bones? I don't know. I had them yesterday. I don't know. where. We're not leaving until you find the bones. I mean, you can just imagine that happening, can't you? So-and-so's got the bones. Where are the bones? Oh, I'm sitting on the bones. You get the bones, would you, please? Those are important bones. And the Bible tells us that Joshua buried the bones once they got into the land of Canaan in Shechem. The covenant of the coffin was a standing sermon. And archaeologists have discovered some tombs in the region of Goshen that could possibly be connected with Joseph. For instance, one uses the Hebrew name Itzuf, which sounds a little bit like Joseph. I don't know if that's uh, just coincidental. But the title given to Itzuf was the Directory of the King's Granaries. And he was given a special tomb. Maybe. But I do know this. If they ever find Joseph's tomb, he's not there. Because his bones are in the land of Canaan. And because Joseph is so much like Jesus, so many parallels. Here's another one. If if we ever found the correct tomb of Jesus, and I'm not sure we have yet, if we do, the bones aren't there because he's gone. And the tomb is empty. And Jesus is alive. 
Joseph could have had any of the honors of Egypt, but he said no to them all so that he could be buried with his people. That's faith, isn't it? Faith in the bare promise of God's word. If Isaac looked to one generation, his sons, and Jacob looked to two generations, his grandsons, Joseph looked to almost 15 generations and the people of God coming into the land of God. And I tell you, there are some lessons for us to learn out of all of this, many, but let me highlight two. Number one, believe the word of God. Believe what God has said. Let his promises light your path. Your greatest test in life may provide the occasion for God's finest promise to you to be realized and experienced. Let me say that again. Your greatest test may be God's greatest hour to confirm to you his most unbelievable promise. But you gotta go through the hard times. Believe God's word. And secondly, this world is not all there is. Look ahead with confidence. Look to the future with confidence. Why? I have the word of God. You and I have the word of God. It was Adoniram Judson who was jailed in Burma and had not led one convert to Christ. He was chained in prison And his fellow prisoner said to him in a very sarcastic way, so how is this missionary work going? How many converts do you have? How excited are you about all that's going on? And it's reported that Adoniram Judson said this, the future is as bright as the promises of God. Isn't that good? The future is as bright as the promises of God but it's only bright if you walk by faith. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning, I beg this morning that you will speak to my heart about a faith so genuine and true that it lasts to the end of my life and maybe even is in its strongest form just before I go to meet you. Help all of us be concerned about leaving a legacy for the next generation and the generation after that and the people who follow after that. May our legacy be simply this. We weren't perfect, but we believe the word of God. We acted upon it. We lived our lives accordingly and died with great For these are the true heroes of faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed.